The passage that Tim will be focusing on this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 17 to 34. And so we read. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Recently at our AGM, we we set out ten aspirations that we feel God is calling us to embrace as part of our identity as Brighton Red Baptist Church a people set apart and dedicated to God. One of these aspirations was to be inclusive. We said that we aspire to be inclusive so that everyone, regardless of age or background, knows that they are a significant part of our church. In short, whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you've done, you are welcome here. That means we want you to feel, as you worship with us, that you belong, that you are one of us, not one of them, whoever they may be. Such distinctions between us and them are out of place in the body of Christ. They don't belong in God's kingdom or God's new order, because Christ died for us all. And that is the only basis on which we are all accepted by God, without any distinction whatsoever. Whether you can look back over the decades stretching into the past and feel that you've led a pretty good life, 
or whether you feel that you messed everything up from the word go. Jesus accepts and welcomes us all on precisely the same basis, that of his love and his grace shown in his death and resurrection for us. And he calls us to welcome and accept each other on precisely that same basis. At the end of this service, we will share communion together. Jesus bids you welcome to share in this bread and wine. And why does he include you? Because he spent his entire ministry seeking out those who felt they didn't belong. Those who felt excluded and unworthy because of their lifestyle, or because of who they were, or what they'd done, or, or what had been done to them. And he shared meals with them, eating and drinking with them, making it clear that they were welcome in God's kingdom. And that's his message to us today. You are welcome. You are accepted. Were that not the case, something would be very seriously wrong. And that was happening in Corinth. There were divisions within the church. Things were not as they should be. And Paul was far from happy about it. He tells them in no uncertain terms that when they come together, they aren't celebrating the Lord's Supper because there are divisions among them. And as a result, their meetings are doing more harm than good. A meal that was supposed to express church unity was instead turning into an occasion which displayed and exacerbated the disunity within the congregation. The problem, as Paul saw it, was that people were turning up and getting on with their meal without waiting for other people to arrive. The result was that the latecomers were finding there was nothing left for them to eat, whereas those who got there first had not only eaten their fill, but some of them were even drunk. In verse 22, Paul accuses them of humiliating those who had nothing. It implies that it was the wealthy and important people who were the ones who got there early, while those of lower social status who could only get there after they'd finished work found that there was nothing left. The divisions within the church were between those who had and those who did not have. Yet, curiously, although Paul explicitly says that this kind of division within the church was way out of order, he also says in verse 19 that he accepts that there had to be divisions among them to show which of them had God's approval. And that seems to be a contradiction. On the one hand, he says, drawing distinction between yourselves is wrong. On the other hand, he says that he accepts that this is inevitable because only in this way can it become apparent who has and equally who does not have divine approval or favour. But the NIV pushes the translation a little bit too far in talking about God's approval here. Paul uses just a single word, which can mean respected, esteemed, honoured, looked up to by everyone else. He says that the divisions within the church make it clear who are the favoured ones. Who are the people that everybody else looks up to? Maybe those who are a cut above the rest. In which case it's likely he's being a bit ironic here. 
He's heard that there are social distinctions being drawn within the church, and he's prepared to believe it because in a city like Corinth, where so much emphasis was placed on prestige and honour, how else could it be possible to tell who the really important people were, who are the people that really mattered, unless these kind of distinctions were being drawn between the haves and the have-nots. So Richard Horsley conveys Paul's sarcasm well when he says, of course, there must be discrimination among you, so that it will become clear who among you are the distinguished ones. Such an attitude has no place within the body of Christ, in Paul's eyes. And if, as is likely, that the church in Corinth was just reflecting the values and the lifestyle of society around them, in all likelihood, at the meal table, this kind of thing was happening all the time. A guy called Pliny the Younger at the start of the second century was really uncomfortable at the social hierarchy that was expressed by the way in which the quality of food at meals was served in accordance with the social standing of the guests. So at a meal, the host and a few select guests would have the finest affair. Well, he complains that the others might just be served with a few scraps of leftover or poor quality food, what was served the other day and wasn't consumed. And it was the same with the wine, the finest vintage for the favoured few, a lesser class of wine for a lower class of guests, and pretty much vinegar for all the freedmen and attendants the guests had brought with them. That was standard social practice. And if this kind of thing was going on in the church in Corinth, you can see why Paul was so unhappy that a meal which should express Christian unity was being used actually to express social hierarchy and division and draw a distinction between those who have and those who don't. Archaeologists have excavated a villa at Anaploga from this area, just outside the boundaries of ancient Corinth. And as was the custom in those days, the floor of the dining room was an expensive, beautifully designed mosaic of colour. The dining room was the best room in a villa. And people in those days didn't sit on chairs at tables to eat their meals. They used low-level tables and they reclined on couches. And here is a reconstruction of a dining room from Pompeii. You have three couches set around the table. One couch is for the hosts, one is for the honoured guests, and one for the second-rate guests. And the host and the honoured guests would have whatever view was available to them, and the second-rate guests would kind of have to look over their shoulder if they wanted to see whatever was going on. The word for dining room was triclinium, which means three couches. There were always three couches in a dining room. It's how it worked. Typically, um, that was the number of people that you would get in a dining hall. You'll notice that the couches are not very big. And if you were reclining on full length on a couch, you might get three or four people on each couch. That's nine people or a dozen round the dining room table. And that's fine for a small dinner party, but actually the church in Corinth was, was probably far bigger than that. So what happened when the whole church came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Well, if they weren't being countercultural in how they did it, you'd still have the dozen or so best people in the dining room. What happened to everybody else? Well, here's a diagram of the layout of the villa at Anaploga. The entrance to the villa... Is, is, it comes in through, in, in through one, there at the top left-hand corner. And that then leads into number three, 
which actually is an open-air courtyard. And, and the thing in the middle of the courtyard is um, a pool for collecting water standing at the centre. And the large room, number seven, with the patterned floor design, that is the, that is the dining room, which actually is, is the largest and most expensive room in the house, where up to a dozen people would recline on couches. The honoured guests would be welcome there. Everyone who didn't get an invitation to the dining room, in all likelihood, gathered in the courtyard. And uh, if, if, if you're looking at... Uh, 30 or 40 people there, then it was standing room only. And if that is the kind of thing that was going on in the Corinthian church as they celebrated the Lord's Supper, you can see why Paul was so angry and upset. The distinguished few get to loll around in comfort and get the best food and drink. Everybody else maybe doesn't even make it into the dining room and gets leftovers. And Paul says this is not the Lord's Supper that you are celebrating. He says, if you're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, you need to take stock of your lives. Some serious self-examination needs to go on before anyone eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord's Supper, because as he puts it, anyone who eats and drinks without recognising the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. What does it mean to recognise the body of the Lord? Part of it is, is they needed to remember that this wasn't just any ordinary social occasion. The bread they were eating was sacred because it represented the body of Christ. Just as the wine they were drinking was sacred because it represented the blood of Christ. They needed to recognise the significance of the food that they were sharing. But recognising the body could mean something else as well. Because the whole church is the body of Christ. The bread which we break, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, is it not a sharing together in the body of Christ? So we who are many are all one body because we all share in the one bread. So recognising the body just doesn't just mean recognising this bread represents the body of Christ broken for us. It's recognising all of us within the body. Recognising and accepting that everyone, irrespective of their social standing, their age or their background, are fellow members with us in the body of Christ. None of us is better than anybody else. We can't draw distinctions and say, well, I, I belong, but you, you're, you're second rate. We are all accepted on the same basis. As a guy called Werner Kummel put it, they were forgetting what the body meant as they acted so selfishly towards their humbler fellow Christians. That's why Paul says what you need to do is you need to wait for each other. You need to accept each other. You need to welcome each other. You need to be there for each other. It's not about you and your social standing and as if you're the person that matters. It is about the whole body of Christ. So yes, there is a sense in which this meal, this bread and wine that we share, is a private, reverent moment. It is just between me and Jesus. It's when we remember, each of us, that Jesus died for me. And it's a profoundly humbling experience as we receive his grace afresh into our hearts. But there's a communal dimension to this as well. And that is that all are welcome. 
And we express that as we all, without exception, share in the one bread, as we all drink the cup together. This meal isn't just about my personal relationship with Jesus. It's also an expression of the inclusivity that we feel God is calling us to make as part of our core identity here at Brighton Road Baptist Church. That's why the other week it was good actually to have the whole church family together rather than the children and their teachers being excluded from communion as regularly happens here. Recognise that there are lessons to be learned about how we should do that better but it is something we want to do from time to time so that all of us, including the youngest members of the family, have a chance to celebrate this meal with us as a sign that Jesus welcomes and accepts them as he welcomes and accepts us so that they have a chance to express their faith by eating bread and drinking wine as we do. What's it mean to celebrate the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? We can get hung up over this because actually, you know, none of us comes to this table with a clear conscience. And uh, it's not about saying, well, I've lived a good life this week, so I'm okay to take the bread and wine. The whole point of the bread and wine is it's for people who haven't lived a good life this week. This is a chance for us to come recognising our failings and our faults, the ways in which we've let ourselves and Christ and others down, and putting it right with God. We're not welcomed by Jesus on condition that we haven't blotted our copybook. We're called to examine ourselves and to recognise that we come to this table as people who have failed, as people who haven't got it right. But that Jesus welcomes us to this table and extends to each of us, all of us, the forgiveness and acceptance we know we need. And so we don't take this bread and drink this wine lightly. We recognise coming, we come recognising that we need God's forgiveness. We come recognising that Jesus died to put us right with himself and with each other. We recognise that Jesus as risen Lord welcomes us to this table and extends to us the forgiveness and acceptance we know we need. And so it's important as we come that we recognise that this bread represents the body of Christ broken for us, that this cup represents the blood of Christ poured out for us. We don't eat the bread and drink the wine flippantly or lightly. It is a meal filled with profound significance and meaning for us. But equally, we're called to remember that Jesus welcomes us all. At this table, all distinctions between us and them are scrubbed out. None of us is worse than anybody else. None of us is better. We all of us, without exception, are sinful people whom Jesus has forgiven, whom Jesus has accepted, whom Jesus welcomes. And we are called to accept and welcome and forgive each other as fellow members of the body of Christ. Welcome and accept each other then, as Christ has welcomed and accepted you.